You are listening to the Choose Your Struggle Podcast, a member of the Shameless Podcast Network. This week on the Choose Your Struggle Podcast, it's the one, the only, Dr. Adi Jaffe. But first, Kid Mental, let me hear it. Things ain't always gonna go our way, but you can always win when you choose your struggle. And some battles will be yesterday, but today is for a new weekend. Choose your struggle, and don't worry about what they say, but you can always win when you choose your struggle. And you can bounce back, just as you Come on in, listen in to just struggle. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. So great to be with you all. Quick note (laughs) before I get into this episode. If you hear a beeping noise in the background, I apologize. I woke up this morning at 5 a.m. because all of our smoke detectors went off. We could not figure out why. Probably an electrical thing. We were able to get all of them off to turn off except for one of them, which will not stop beeping. I replaced the batteries and everything. What made this experience even worse is all of this chaos set our dog off into a panic attack, and she spent the next four hours hyperventilating, and it was a whole thing. So um, obviously, I will know when I start editing if I can hear that beeping on the the, the, the track, but uh, if you can, I apologize. So this week's episode, I'm going to keep the intro short, not just because of the beeping, but because uh, I don't want to take away anything from... Uh, this episode, with the, which is with a person that I just so admire. His name is Dr. Adi Jaffe. Yes, finally, he's on the on the podcast. You all have heard his name every week for like the last, I don't know, three months uh, on the ad for Bookshop. Uh, I am looking at his book, The Absence Myth. It, it sits on my bookshelf. I can see it from where I record. And we talk about it on this episode, how you know, I was doing this work on the side for so many years. And before that was completely silent and private about my recovery. And and one of the things that really helped me decide to kind of start doing this full time is feeling that there was a community for people like me who uh, were not traditional recovery people who who didn't enter recovery through AA. And all of that, 100%, literally all of it is thanks to a D. Uh, he, he started this community. Well, uh, he, that was later, but, but he, through his book, through his work showed me and and so many other people that there is a path. There is a community for people who are in recovery in a non sort of, uh, throwback traditional way. And that there is an opportunity to help people in that respect. So, um, you know, just a a big fan. And and we have a moment where I tell him that on this on this episode. And and we've talked about that before. Um, He knows that, you know, he, he is a big influence on a lot of the work that I do. And, you know, he's doing such incredible work on a day-to-day basis. I really recommend you check his presence out online. Uh, He shouts out all the stuff, as always. Uh, Get his book, The Abstinence Myth. You can get it. Uh, in in the the show notes to go to the the uh, bookshop link as as always please uh, I moved it to the top of the list this week so that you can see it and uh, follow him online you know I I more see most of his stuff on Instagram and LinkedIn uh, very good presence both places so definitely check out a D uh, and then stick around to the end of the show where I will give you your card and your good egg as always so without further ado. Enjoy this conversation with Dr. Adi Jaffe. 
Enjoying the podcast? Consider supporting it on Patreon. You'll get behind-the-scenes looks, sneak peeks, extra bonus content, and best of all, a way to interact with me, your host. You'll also get discounts on merch like tank tops and magnets and all the other services I provide, like booking me to speak, coach or consult, or even advertise here on the podcast. Check it out in the show notes or in patreon.com slash choose your struggle. Plans start at as little as $3.40 a month and all the money goes right into the podcast. All right, let's get back to the show. Thanks for sharing the podcast with your friends. If you're listening on Apple, please rate and review or check out the review link in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For a while on YouTube and he was like, well, but you know, people might get confused. I go, dad, I'm like 99% sure there's not a single human being who would ever confuse me with the original Dr. J. And if they were confused within seconds, they would not be confused anymore. Like, um, you know, it's not like a, like a trademark violation or something where, well, you know, people have been going to Dr. Jaffe for basketball advice and he's just really disturbing the market. You know, but I'm sure as, as, a, as a shorter Jew that you would have good basketball advice. I have terrible basketball skills. I, um, I, played, I played a little bit when I was a kid. And then I remember I played here in L.A. with some friends. But they had obviously played ball. So they had, like, they had to pick and roll down. And, you know, they had like plays. I do not have plays. I can shoot the ball. But if you, if you got a good pick and roll, you will destroy any team that I'm on. Because I don't even – I get confused, which is kind of the whole point of the pick and roll, right? But, like, I get massively – I'm like, oh, wait, who am I supposed to guard? It's not, it's not a good thing. I'm good at tennis. I'm good at swimming. Basketball is not really my sport. I apologize. Well, you know, other than Omri Caspi, we don't have a lot of Jews, you know, balling no. out. Uh, Sasha Vujacic, you know, a couple, couple of role player guys. But, yeah, tennis, you know, the, the country club sports, those are our sports. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So here's the fun. We're, already, we're recording this, but, but Love not, it. like, in yet. I learned something from that awesome conversation you had with um, my good friend Ashley. Uh, which, by the way, that was a killer episode. I was like, man, I wish every one of my episodes was this good. Oh, thanks, man. Because the two of you have such interesting overlapping but also very different ideas. That yeah. I was, I was like, when I saw you two together, oh, this is this is going to be good. And uh, she brought it, too, and I'm I'm all 100%. down for that, you know? Yeah, she she and I had a much more sort of laid-back fun chat, and, and I really loved that the two of you just kind of like – you know what was it like Richard Richard Dawkins versus uh what, what he used to go head to head like those kind of conversations that's what yeah. I was feeling with y'all mm. um I love I Ashley love by the way she's great she is great and 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 her platform is unreal uh what they're doing but yeah. I learned in that conversation that you and I have a similar overlap that you could not tell from looking at us now and that is that we both went through the bleach blonde phase uh you were really Eminem I was because of Eminem Oh, I, um, yeah, man, I, I had that Caesar cut thing in high school and I remember, God, this sounds so lame when I say it out loud. Um, <laughs> things sound different in your head when you're 16, but I remember like in high school, I remember the hairdressing place. I went, you know, I would go to like my mom's, but I didn't have a hairdresser or like a barber when I was in high school. So I went to the place where my mom went or whatever. And it was the first time that 
they bleached my hair and I was so about it. I loved it. I mean, honestly, you looked like a crazy, I looked like a crazy person, but, um, but then, but then came the real magic. And I think M had this later, but you know, yeah, you, you bleach your hair. That's one thing, but then it grows out and my hair, I don't know. We're not, are we doing video? Do you show video for this? I don't know, but it's, it's very similar now. Our hairs. Yeah. Our hairs are almost the same. Um, my hair's dark now. So like when it grew out, it looked black compared to the white on, at the end. And so I looked like a porcupine, if I'm kind of honest about it, which, but now it was like a Caesar cut. Anyway, it was, it was just weird looking hair. And then Eminem came and everybody wanted to look like that. So all of a sudden it became really cool, which was just a funny experience to have. But I got to tell you, man, I'm going to push back on that. I don't think it was ever cool. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Because I certainly did not look cool (laughs) with the Eminem look. No, no. Terrible. That's probably a good call. Uh, I got bullied. I never got bullied in school because I was always part of like the, you know, not the cool kids, but like I was a, I was a fun guy. And then I got an Eminem haircut and I got bullied like you wouldn't believe. Um, <laughs> I respect, I respect your honesty. I right, look, I thought I was cool. I don't know. I, I was doing a lot of fucking meth and, uh, <laughs> and, and smoking a lot of cigarettes and, and I had a lot of money cause I was selling drugs. So maybe that's why it felt cool at the time. And maybe it had nothing to do with the hair. But I, I'll tell you, before Eminem, I, I felt very unique. And after that, like, every white boy had um, a Caesar cut with bleached hair. And I just, I fit in, which maybe that was the whole point. First, so first off, I'm just going to leave this in now. This is wonderful. But <laughs> this also, is amazing. What, this is my favorite made part. It even cooler for us. <laughs> and you're a little older than me. So at least you were pre-Eminem. Like, I 100% did it because of Eminem. Yeah, yeah. Here we both were sort of the young, not only were we little white boys, but little Jewish white boys oh, yeah. rocking the Eminem cut. And there is nothing lamer than that. Like, like here, you know, we're because because we're not there's nothing authentic about this. We were 100 like I, I don't want to speak for you. I was 100 percent a poser. Again, you know, it's really it's so first of all, let's give homage where it, it's aimed. Um, the Beastie Boys were three. <clears throat> white jewish boys from uh from brooklyn queens etc who um you know kind of ruled the hip-hop world for a minute there so there's a precedent but that being said i gotta man it's hard for me to describe to people because people know me now and you know how in your head how old are you now if you don't mind me asking i'm 35 okay i'm 44 years old so I'm i'm a good bit i'm nine years older than you but I'm 44 years old and I've gone through many phases in my life now, but I still feel like the same person under all of it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I was definitely a very different kid, both in terms of looks and my understanding of the world, et cetera, when I was 14 and then in my mid twenties when I was in jail and all this stuff, but I'm now married three kids internally. I kind of feel like the same person, but then when I see pictures and I think about the way I lived and the things I did day to day and, even to some extent, the way I looked at the world, they're actually completely different realities in a way. And it's hard for me to understand how both those concepts can exist. But, and I don't say, I, I mean this not cynically and I'm not being facetious. Like when M came out, um, I was riding around in a navigator or like a car with a, with a top off, with a gun under the seat, bumping Dr. Dre, like thinking I was hard. Now I was selling drugs and I had 
you know, tens of thousands, if not like sometimes hundreds of thousands. Like I, on the face of it, I was kind of living that life. Um, but I have no idea how I got there. I mean, I, I do know now because I, I process it so much, but it was like tiny little gradual steps that took me from a Jewish kid from Israel with a dad who's a doctor and a mom who like manages the human resource department in a bank to some dude bumping Eminem with like a nine millimeter under his seat, going to a drug deal with a Mexican cartel thinking that was fucking normal. Like, and that's to me why, um, you know, when I talk to people like you and again, even Ashley, and I talk to those of us who've been there before and are doing the work, I don't really care. I, I know I talk about this all the time and I just talked about it on the meeting we were on before, but like, I got zero judgment, man. The fuck shame thing for me is so real because I don't, I, I don't know how it went from zero to a hundred like that. And, um, and I can process it and I can understand, I can break down the steps, but I don't care who you are and I don't care what you're struggling with. I got zero judgment. Um, no, there's nothing you can do that will make me go, Oh, that's too far. Like that's, I can't, I can't connect with you because that world of feeling judged, feeling less than, feeling worthless, blah, 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 and having to fill that up with drugs, alcohol, porn, sex, prostitutes, whatever you did, food, to get to the point where you feel okay, I get it on a really, really, really deep level. Yeah, and I think that is a perfect transition. So listeners, if you already can't tell, this is going to be a bit of a different uh, episode. It, 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 mine, mine usually are very structured. We're doing a little something different today, and, and we're doing that because, you know, this is, for me at least, a very full circle moment. And I know that you don't understand that as much, but I'm going to kind of explain that. You know, you you know a little bit about my story. We've been chatting. We've known each other now for a couple of years. But when I got in recovery 11 years ago, I didn't go the traditional AA route. And, and as you know from doing this for so long, 11 years ago, that was not a story you told. You know, if you either yeah. came AA or you didn't hear your story, it didn't it, it didn't exist. And so for the first couple of years of recovery, I felt super alone in my recovery. I didn't identify with the move. I, I just was alone. And one thing changed that. And you can probably already know where this is going. And that was a book. That was mm. a book by Dr. Adi Jaffe. And really, I got your book recommended to me or, or I saw it somewhere. I don't even remember how I first found this thing. And as I've told you, I've joked about this before, I've probably bought more copies of your book than anyone because I buy it and pass it on. So many mm. people, it's sort of like what Of Substance is doing with their movies. That was me with your book going, I need you to understand how I feel as a person in recovery. It's this. And so sharing that book really made me feel like there's a place for me in this recovery community, right? And then the second part of that was the fuck shame piece because I was, I bought into that for the first five years of my recovery. I did not talk yeah. about it. Uh, I didn't, I, I was, I felt a lot of that shame. And then I finally told my story in public and it just showed me how stupid it was, right? Because mm. I didn't lose anything. In fact, I gained something. And of course now here, six years later, I do this for a living and, and I've come full circles chatting with you for this show. Mm -hmm. and, and so there very much is a lot of what I do that would not have been possible if I had not read your book. And I mean that wholeheartedly. Man, thank you. I mean, I'm tearing up just listening, to be honest, because, you know, like this road is still pretty lonely. 
we got we got more friends we got each other and we got our little groups and stuff but it's we're a very small minority in this world and um I'll, you know i don't know how to say this in any other way so really thank you writing the book took me years man it took me years to figure out how to even get this message out because i didn't know how to talk about this thing that was so counter to everything i learned i so i i started out in recovery i did AA. I did AA for three years and i stayed sober in a for three years by the way i just fucking hated it um and i did it because i was facing jail time and i needed to get out of jail and it it kept me out of like a, a instead of doing a decade in jail or 15 years in jail, I did one and that was a blessing. And then I left and I just needed something more. And like you, I found another way and it worked. And to be honest, I didn't have to tell anybody about it, but I knew in my research that, cause I went back to school and I was doing the research on, on treatment. I was like, look, I know people hate AA. And so if there are people out there who need to hear that there's a different version of the story, let's tell it. And there's a guy, Alex Gilman, who's who I worked with on the fir- what was supposed to be the first version of this book. We worked for years, man, like trying to tell stories from my past in a way that connects. We just couldn't connect the dots into a story. And eventually it became important enough for me. Where I I ended up, I paid like $12,000 for this book to get written. I'll just be honest. Like it says with Janet Goldstein in the beginning, but I, pa- I paid Janet Goldstein, an amazing editor, to sit with me for what ended up being nine months I would go out in the morning, I would write, I would give it to her and she would like workshop it. We did the outline and this book was supposed to be 250, 300 pages. I just, I almost like ran out of steam. And then we had to figure out how do we get something out? And we've sold over 10,000 copies now, but I had no idea if anybody would connect because like you, I'd connected to a few hundreds of people who felt differently, but the main message I was getting from the entire world was, look, we know what the way we know the way that works. Just get people to meetings and everything will be fine. And um, I thank whatever God, the universe, my 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 path, my angels, whatever, um, that anybody gets touched by the book, because when I get to hear one of these messages, I'll tell you, honestly, man, I make no money doing this shit. I'm, I'm, I'm going into savings to do this, but like, I know how much it sucks when you're in the middle of it and you can't figure out what's going on and everybody's telling you what's going to work and you try and it doesn't work. Then you feel like a loser. And so I just wanted to create something that would give some people hope. And the fact that it's helped however many people it's helped now is, uh, is really honestly all I could want. Well, uh, so that book is The Abstinence Myth, and my listeners know that, by the way, because one of my partners for my podcast is, is bookshop.com, and, and, and there's an ad that plays for them every single episode, and in my, my recording of the ad, I say I picked up everything from Adi Jaffe's Abstinence Myth to whatever, so that's part of my yes. ad that they hear every week, so my listeners know your book already. Uh, but if you've been waiting for a reason to go buy it, listeners, head over to the link in the show notes, bookshop.com, <laughs> and check out an Absinthe by, by my guest today, Adi Jaffe, because as you've already heard, it, it it means that much to me. I'm literally looking at my copy. It's behind my computer right now. Um, and, and, and like I said, I passed it on to multiple people. If you're one of the people that I pass this on to, by the way, I can't even remember. There's so many. Do me a favor and pass it on to somebody else and then buy another mm. copy and keep doing the same thing. So 
I think for the listeners, at least, normally we do a bit of storytelling. We've already kind of heard that from <laughs> I think it'd be helpful to pick up where we just left off there, which is you, you know, you, you do the AA thing. It's not really working for you. You know there's another way. How do we get from there to you running a treatment center to you mm. going, this ain't it, and starting Ignited, which is an amazing uh, program? Um. I don't like sitting around. I'm not I'm not somebody who's good at just watching from the sidelines. I never have been. Um the way I got to drug dealing and and the heaviest part of my addiction was because you know my parents always had the money and held it over my head and this and they didn't hold it over my head. They just you they said you you do what we want and we will support it. You do something else and you figure it out. And I found drug dealing is the way to get out from under them. I was like, oh, cool. I got this. Um, and I was making, you know, really, really good money. Didn't need them for rent. Didn't need them for anything anymore. Um, there's a line from a different Jay, Jay-Z, um, in, uh, in American Gangster. And he says, nothing wrong with my aim. Just got to change the target. And to me, that line means... I have the motivation, I have the drive, I have the ability to do a lot. Sometimes I'm aiming at the wrong target. And uh, and what happened early for me is I aimed at the wrong target. And it was a selfish target. I just wanted to, I wanted to have it all, right? I want to have the freedom, be able to have the girls, blah, 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 the drugs, the money. Um, so when I got out and I got my task done, I I avoided 15, 16, 17 years in prison. I got out. And now I was like, okay, I need to start the next version of my life. It never, never imagined that it would look like this. I was trying to just get a job. I was going to malls. The Apple store was just starting. I was trying to get hired there. I, I was a nine-time convicted felon, man. I couldn't, I couldn't get hired at McDonald's. Um, and the only next step that was available to me back then was school. And I'd written school off. But when it was the only option, I went all in. So I went from... Selling drugs, having four guys selling for me, literally having like, I wouldn't hold $1, $5 and $10 bills because they took up too much space. So all my friends were really happy because whenever I would get that kind of stuff, I would just give it away. So it was like, I, I'm, I sound like an idiot right now when I say that. And, and I hate that that, but that's just the way it was. And I went from that and being able to have quote unquote, everything I want to sitting in a class, relearning statistics so that I can get into this master's program at Cal State Long Beach, which I'm in forever grateful for that it existed and it didn't ask the all important question, have you ever been convicted of a felony? So I got in there and I went all in on school that time. So I, I became a 4.0 student. I was organizing the, um, the study sessions. I was staying in office hours, still never realizing that I'm gonna do this on addiction, but just going, I have to not go back to prison how do I get to the next place? And this was my obvious thing. So I went all in, just like I went all in on drug dealing. And um, it was just a coincidence that the guy who I worked under was doing addiction research. So you get this advisor given to you. His name is Dennis Fisher. I literally was emailing him. I'm trying to take him and his wife out to dinner. I owe a lot of my future to this man. Uh, and he said, hey, I need help in this center that I run you're my student, come help me and gave me my first job after jail. He didn't know it was my first job after jail, but he gave it to me. And because I was a student, there was none of the weird paperwork. It was just like, where should we submit the checks? 
But the place that I worked at was a homeless food bank that did interviews for cash with people who were addicted to drugs. So my job was to get trained and then to sit in a chair and talk to people who were drug users and ask them really invasive questions like, oh, the it was called the RBI, the um, the instrument we gave. But like literally, I would have to sit there and ask, how many times has another man's penis entered your anus in the last thirty days? Like that was just one of the questions that we asked them. Like, hold on, what good what good does that number do anybody? What 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 could that have possibly help? So we did we did research on injection drug use, on sexual risk, on homelessness, on money. Like, where are you making your money? Um, are you having sex with men, women, with men, with condoms, without condoms? Like every question, it would make most people listening right now blush if I gave them one of those uh, assessments. But I had to do this. It was an hour long thing, an hour long interview. And at the end of it, what they would get would be at least for a couple of days, they would get food. So they get like canned goods and all this other stuff that we would have in the back. So my job was with the other guys, I would unload the trucks and put the food away. Then I would give the interviews and you know, summarize them. Sometimes I would load the data in, give them the food. It's, that was like the cycle day after day after day. Now, I never thought I would ever, ever, ever in my life do that work, but I liked it. Um, first of all, I was really motivated for school. Secondly, I was just like, nobody knew this, but I had just been to jail like a year earlier, right? Downtown LA County, and here I am sitting with people who everybody else around looked at me like, well, you're the grad student. But I was like, no, 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 no. Like a year ago, I was in jail. I had no judgment. I got along with the people really, really well. And I really liked it. And I started enjoying doing the work with them. And then came the second piece, which I realized there's actually a career here. So this guy had all this research he was doing. And I was asking him, how do you move up in this field? I knew nothing about it. And he said, look, you do research. I have data. We have to write it up. If you want to do it, here's how it's done. And he thought I wouldn't do anything because none of the grad students there ever actually really did that stuff. But I showed up. I did the work. He gave me more work. I was really successful. I ended up being able to move from there to UCLA for my PhD program. Um, and when I got to UCLA, it was the same thing. Like There were not a lot of ex-con drug dealers there, but but I was moving on up. Like I just kept moving up. And eventually... As I, as I mentioned to you before, I said, I can't just sit on the sidelines and study this stuff anymore. I got to get out there and do something. And, and obviously from a book and everything else, it's not a big surprise. The way that I decided to go after it and make a change is I'm not sober. I was sober for three years, um, about four and a half years, no, about four years into my journey. I decided to take the AA experiment. It was about 2005. Um, Again, I've been, so, I've been sober for over three, three and a half years maybe, and um, took a sip of champagne, was really freaked out because I'd been in AA for so long. They made me believe that like my brain was going to immediately go into some other state. Took the sip. I'm here to report very happily 16 years later. I'm still a casual drinker. Life is fine. Don't worry about me. We're good. And so when I left academia, I decided to start a treatment center that would try to make getting help easier. And one of the main ways we did that was we, we didn't require people to commit to abstinence by joining. So you were, you were an early adopter to what is now kind of thrown around as called the harm, the harm reduction model, which is really just the non abstinence for abstinence sake model. 
but but that was what you were kind of you know an early person on. I was, and I don't want to take the credit for being that early in it. Uh, I want to I want to really name some of the people that I'm sure some of your listeners at least know of. Right, Stanton Peel wrote a book on this stuff the year I was born. Um, my partner in that treatment center was Mark Kern. Um, through the dealings of of business, he doesn't like me that much anymore, but I I honor and respect the decades of work that he had done in the field before. He was the only guy in LA, literally the only guy in LA back then doing non-abstinence alcohol work. And we joined forces. There's Andrew Tatarski, uh, right? There's Ken Anderson from Hams. Like there are a lot of other people doing really great work. There was Alan Marlett at university of Washington, uh, back in the day. And, and, um, there were a lot of really, really great people, but man, when we opened up that treatment center, we would get hate calls on the phone, people calling and saying, you're going to kill alcoholics. What's wrong with you? I mean, you mentioned this already, but 11 years ago, 10 years ago, it was not okay um, to do the harm reduction thing. It was not allowed. And, and and more than that, even I would say that for some people, yes, there was a lot of people who like took that approach. But like even four years ago, five years ago, I I'm like you, I'm not sober. I I have never had an issue with drinking, and, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, I'm a strong believer in the powers of cannabis for good, and so I, and I'm lucky. I've never had an issue with cannabis. My issue was prescription pills and, and cocaine. But my own dad said to me. Uh, this was probably three years ago. Don't you don't you struggle to do the work you're doing being not sober? And, and I said yes, but also <laughs> you know understand that that isn't. It's not an accident that you think that way. It's not an accident mm. that you believe the only way to be in recovery as a guy who has no knowledge of this other than through your son is through sobriety for sobriety's sake. Oh, so he meant. Uh, isn't it hard for you to be in recovery while not sober? Not isn't it hard for you? No, the second. So isn't it hard for you to be a public person about your recovery without being sober? Here's the only thing that I hate about it, if I'm honest, because I don't give a fuck. Like I look, my life is good. I'm married. I got three kids. Life is not perfect. It, it isn't for anybody. Uh, I do work with amazing, amazing people. I got off, man, two hours ago. I've been on Zoom or whatever. On, on a video chat from eight o'clock in the morning. Like I haven't moved from this seat almost. Uh, I'm literally wearing the pullover that I had after my workout. Cause I just haven't had time to change. Um, but one of my calls today, man was, and I'm going to cry about this guy, but whatever, I don't give a fuck. Um, this guy, Fred, who started our program, he's a vet. He had been through a bunch of programs, marriage on the brink relationship with his kid on the way out. And today we're talking because he just graduated our online program. Um, he wasn't sober for a while in the beginning. He's more sober now, but I don't know. I don't even know that he's 100% sober. Um, and he wants to join and become a coach in our program because it's changed his life so much that all he wants to do is give back. Like, fuck non-believers. I don't care. They're not, I'm not here for them. You know, the only thing that, this is the only thing that scares me. I don't want to be anybody else's example of what their life needs to look like. I think that's when it gets dangerous. Like I'm not sober, but nobody else needs to not be sober to prove that what I'm doing works. I'm not here to prove to you that what I'm doing works. I'm here to get people's lives 
to a better place. And if that means they smoke weed instead of doing heroin, all the more power to them. If that means they're, they're drinking and maybe like once a month they drink more than you'd like them to, but they used to black out every day, all the more power to them. Like I'm here to just say there's another way. And I don't know. I'm not a genius. I'm not um, a soothsayer. I'm not a witch. I don't know what your way is. All I'm telling people and the promise I'm giving them is there is a way for you out. And stop listening to all these people that believe that they know everything about you because they don't. And your entire job, if you haven't found the way that works for you, your entire job is to keep looking. That's it. Just keep looking. Get high today if that's the best you can do. Try to get less high if that is hurting your life. But like, do what you need to do to get through today as you keep looking for what will make tomorrow better. And I think we all need to get off our fucking high horses and judgmental like little thrones where we believe that our version is the best. My system works for me. Um, it works well for me. And I will share my version of it with anybody who wants to hear it. But that's not what Ignited is about. Ignited is about giving people and empowering them with the tools that will help make their life better. So my, my listeners know that there's really only one rule on this show, and that is you cannot ever use the word only. You can believe in your method, but the minute you say the word my, mine is the only way, we're done. And because yeah. of that, you are only the second sort of person in the provider space who's been on here after the people from Lion Rock, because they also, while having more stricter rules than I love, are not our way is the only way thinking. And I, I respect them for that. Yeah. So before we actually get into talking about your what Ignited is, I want to pause and, and shout out where people can find you online, where they can follow you and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um. So I'm wearing a hat that says I-G-N-T-D on it for those uh, who are wondering how to spell ignited. Um, I just took some vowels out. I thought it was clever, but nobody understands what it means. So so it's spelled I-G-N-T-D. It's like ignited with only the first I. Um, but that's why we also created another website called adjaffe.com in case uh, that's hard for people to understand. And then you already gave the name of the book, The Abstinence Myth. Um, that would be the third best way to find me. And... I've been blessed. Uh, I'm everywhere. So I'm on Instagram at Dr. Adi Jaffe and on Twitter and, and LinkedIn and all the other places and, and Facebook with the same at Dr. Adi Jaffe. But it's pretty hard to miss me if you if you go look for me online. I've done a lot of really fun stuff that has gotten the word out. Uh, but again, I also want to just really, really point out, yes, please come check me out. And I love we get 14 days free, by the way, of everything we do. And you can use my, you can use the Ignited platform completely free for two weeks, giving you some access to like 28 hours of live groups and God knows how much video and all that kind of stuff without spending five cents with me. And then you can leave if you want it. I don't really care. Just get some help. Um, our goal is to end up helping millions of people. And also you have a fantastic podcast you do with your wife, which is uh, entertaining and and enjoyable and drops a lot of uh, really important information as well. Yes, yes. I have, a, I have a podcast called The Ignited Podcast. My wife comes on more sporadically now. We did a lot. We did three years of work around relationships on that podcast because we, after my uh, addiction to meth, I found out I was also addicted to porn and, uh, and instant gratification uh, and had some intimacy issues. So I did work on that later. That was about a decade ago. 
And so we talked a lot about the infidelity and things of that nature and the work that came out of that. So you can, if, uh, if any of you are struggling with sex addiction or anything like that, I think that's a good resource there as well. But then we have a Monday and a Friday episode and the Friday episode is essentially all recovery based. And, and like this, this podcast, Mondays and Fridays, and both are, are very sort of different, uh, which, which is something I enjoy about your show. Y'all know I love to read, and almost every episode of this podcast includes a recommendation to check out an awesome book. From a D. Jaffe's abstinence myth to Johan Hari's chasing the scream, I'm constantly looking for new books to learn from and enjoy. That's why I'm super excited to partner with Bookshop. Bookshop is a wonderful website that helps you find all your favorite books and support your local neighborhood bookstore in the process. I've bought everything from textbooks to Star Wars novels on Bookshop, and I've supported my local store with each transaction. Best of all, my Bookshop link will allow you to see all the books I've mentioned on the show right in one spot. So check out Bookshop today using the link in my show notes or go to bookshop.org shop CYS and you'll find all the awesome books you want and support the podcast in the process. Check it out today. Subscribe to my Patreon for behind-the-scenes looks at the podcast, sneak peeks, and bonus data. You'll also get a discount on Choose Your Struggle merch. Find it at patreon.com slash choose your struggle. So coming back, now I really do want to focus on Ignited because, uh, you know, I I have... You know, seen some of your work. I've I've been in Facebook things you've done, Facebook Live. I mean, you and I have been on so many things. Yeah. I've lost count. Uh, you started an awesome group on on LinkedIn for for people who are sort of. I don't even want to say different thinking because that's not right anymore. It's it's mm. uh, as you said, we are a smaller group than the than the the general population, but it's it's quickly changing in it's in a gross. positive direction. There, uh, of people who think more the way that we do and less uh, of the old style of thinking around this. So so talk a little bit about from founding ignited to to all that y'all are doing right now because I've heard you tell some stories and it's pretty amazing. Mm. Well, look, when we turned, when we closed the treatment center, my partner had gotten, he had cancer and got a heart attack. And it was like devastating because there aren't a lot of people doing the kind of work that he could do. And so we had to close down. Um, and I had a few months, it was during the summer of 2017. And I was teaching at UCLA at the time, uh, lecturing, but it was summer. So I wasn't teaching during the summer. And I had three months off. I hadn't had three months off since, I don't even know, since jail. Um, and I got to sit around and think about what I wanted to do. Now, I knew that the main problem in addiction is not that the treatment is not good enough. That is a huge problem, but it's not the main problem. The main problem is that most people don't get treatment. And that millions, like tens of millions of people every year who need help with addictions don't get help. And I knew why. I'd done the research on it. It's expensive. It's hard to get. Um, it's very dogmatic, right? So the whole abstinence only or God piece, et cetera. And it's it's shaming. And People can say whatever they want, but go and look at, I, I gave a TEDx almost a decade ago now about the role of labels and we need to drop them. And then Robert Ashford, if you, nobody's seen his research, go look at Robert Ashford's research on the power, the disempowering power of um, the labels, alcoholic and addict, uh, when he talks about recovery lexicon and things like that. I wanted to figure out a way to fix that gap. How do we help the other 90%? And I realized very quickly, technology had to be the thing. Opening another treatment center wouldn't get me there. And so 
you know, man, I, I pivoted hard. Um, I never, I mean, I wrote a blog online at the time. I've let it go since, but I had a blog back in the early 2000s or 2008. What am I talking about? Um, but in the early 2000s, I was smoking meth in a studio. There was no, no writing on blogs, but, um, I knew I needed to do something in technology. I need to go online and, and prove the model online. I had no idea if it could work. I use the literally laptop I'm sitting on right now. And, um, the video cam, I created a PowerPoint and I went on Instagram on video and like Facebook and said, Hey, I'm going to start an online program for addiction. I learned online marketing, uh, which is a pretty weird seedy place to be in. Uh, if you have the wrong intentions, cause it's, you know, in a way you're kind of learning how to manipulate people into buying stuff. But I, I knew I had to figure out how to go online and get people to listen to what I'm doing. And I created this program called the Ignited, at the time it was the Ignited Recovery Program, um, a 300 slide PowerPoint that I gave over six weeks to eight people who bought the first program and never met them one-on-one. -on -one. I would do video chats, but nobody had their video camera on because of shame. So they would come to the meetings, but they would have their camera off. Now they paid a thousand dollars each to be in that program. Um, and that supported my ability to do it, but it was intense. We would meet twice a week live for six weeks, so 12 sessions. Um, and I didn't know if it would work in the beginning, but by the end, like a third to half of the people had good outcomes. Some of them quit, but, but a lot of them reduced at least. Not everybody, but a lot of them had really great reductions. And I said, okay, this is good enough for me to go to the next step. And then I automated it and I did all this other stuff to just make it available even when I'm not around, which is the main key, right? To, to get to the point where I'm helping millions, I have to make it available when I'm not around. And we did it less live, but it was still $1,000. And over the last four years, my entire commitment has been, how do we make this thing more effective, easier to access, more approachable, um, stickier so that once people start um, they're more likely to, to get involved. And then how do we internally at Ignited keep an eye on the ball of understanding kind of what can we improve? How can we make it better? And that's what I mean when I said before, what you get with Ignited Recovery, now called the Ignited Hero Program, is not, just to be clear, there are a lot of people out there pitching, hey, here's what worked for me. Let me walk you through that and it'll help you. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. That's not what I do. What I do is I say, look, I've been studying this for 15 years now. There are a lot of things that work. My job is to bring you into a system that will then present to you the options that exist. And then what we're developing over time is have the system be smart enough so that in conversation with you, it can help you better select the tools that help you individually. So we do, we're based on positive psychology and cognitive behavioral therapy and mindfulness work and exposure therapy from anxiety and, and on panic and trauma work. Uh, we do hypnosis. We dozens and dozens and dozens of tools because I didn't do 90% of those things, but I've had people talk about the power of hypnosis as, and changing magical things in them in terms of smoking and drug use, et cetera. So 
I'm very happy to share with people what worked for me, but I know what worked for me will work for a very small sliver of people. I would much rather create a system. And where Ignited is right now is hundreds of hours of online content. You sign on to our platform and some of it presents itself in sequence to you like a, like a course, like you went to college and you're taking a recovery course, but other snippets come to you as you need them. So if you tell us you're having a really bad day and you're struggling with anxiety, we're going to shoot videos your way that deal with anxiety. Uh, if you tell me your relationship is struggling, we're going to give you videos on relationships. So it's kind of there to recommend what you need in the moment. And, you know, just to go back to this harm reduction thing that you talked about before, I want, I want people to be very, really, really clear. My goal is not to give people a recovery approach that doesn't include abstinence. That's not why I'm here. I don't want people to drink. I don't want people to use. I don't want people to do anything. I want people's lives to get better. So that guy that I mentioned earlier today, like I said, he graduated our program. I don't even know if he's completely sober, but his life is a million times better. Another person who was in our program uh, and just had a coach with an accountability, we have actual live accountability coaches you get to get on the phone with. She told me yesterday that his coach, he used to drink every day since he was in high school, he drank every day. Since he's joined us, he's had the first 45 days sober you know, does he stay sober forever? I don't know. But how amazing is that? We've had people who um, were blacking out daily. There's a story, this guy, uh, I'll, I'll use his initial D, but um, gay man born in Texas in the 70s, maybe even early 70s, late 60s, when being gay in Texas was not okay. Not that it's okay right now, but it was definitely not okay in the late 60s, early 70s. And so he found early in junior high and high school that if he got drunk, he could fool around and have sex with girls. And, um, and that was one of his ways co of coping with life. And so he just relied on drinking forever to seem like he fit in. He wrote me when he finished our program. And he said, look, I drank four times during your program over about four or five months. I used to blackout drink every single night. To me, those are successes. Um, there's zero... There's zero argument as far as I'm concerned, whether his life was better blacking out every day or drinking four times. And that's all I want. So in the end, hopefully Ignited will have hundreds of programs. We'll have a Jewish program and a Muslim program and a Christian program and a, and a Buddhist program and a, an agnostic and an atheist program. We'll have programs that are racially and gender based and all this. I just want to get people in and whatever they feel comfortable and then be able to provide them with the tools they need to create the recovery path that works for them. Well, it, it's so common sense pieces of it. This idea that, that why are we measuring things that are just pieces of maybe life being better? I'm specifically right. thinking of just measuring sobriety or just measuring days. Consecutive sobriety. Exactly. It's not Where even it's sobriety. Like it's only consecutive sobriety. And, it, and if you fall, it starts over again, which I think is total bullshit. But as someone who was a solid five years into my recovery before I felt healthy, right? I mean, I'm able to distinct to have that distinction of being like, all right, the first five years, I, was, I wasn't using what I struggled with, but I didn't feel good yet. You know, it took me a long time. Why... The, the the life improvement piece is so important and gets overlooked in the traditional sense yeah. of 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 recovery uh, you know conversations or or how we measure it but but the, the other piece i think that's so important about your work 
and this is something that Ashley actually asked me on when I was on her show. She said, but didn't it get lonely in your recovery? And I said, yeah, it did. You know, that's the one thing about AA I didn't have. I was doing this alone. I did this completely alone with nobody there with me. And yeah. you are doing something that, that does not exist. And that is allowing people to have the community piece, not in AA. Yeah. And that, in my mind, is the greatest game changer that is still not accessible for a lot of people. You had on a couple of things I want to talk about. So first of all, uh, for your people, there's a there's a URL on our webpage. It's not listed anywhere. But if you go to ignited.com forward slash secret, I'm not hiding it very well. But um, I'll give you the wheel of life assessment, which is part of what we do in our program. And you hit this so right on that I just want people to have access to it. Look, sure, drinking and using less is probably part of your solution. Let's be honest. It's going to be really, really hard probably to get where you want to get drinking and using at the level that you are right now, or you wouldn't be thinking about it. That being said, there are a lot of other areas to fix. Uh, the Ignited Wheel of Life is like the Wheel of Life that you would find online anyway, but we added a couple of slices. Um, the traditional Wheel of Life has um, eight slices. We have 10, and the other two that we add are purpose and contribution, because I found that those are incredibly important, not just in my own life, but in the life of the hundreds and thousands of people that I've worked with. So if you go to ignited.com forward slash secret, you'll get that assessment uh, free. Here's my recommendation. Start out doing that thing every week in early in your recovery, then do it every month or so just to keep track and make sure that the rest of your life, in addition to your actual use is getting better. Um, you want all of life to get better, not just your use, right? Um, and so that's one thing. And then the second piece, look, there's smart recovery and there's moderation management. There are groups that have done this, but here's the, where the rubber meets the road sometimes. And we're trying to do less of that. We're doing less of that with the LinkedIn group. I'm trying to stay um, system agnostic. So actually, if you go to community.ignited.com here, I'll give you guys everything I have. If you go to community.ignited.com, you can get a hold of the, um, the free community that we have. And you're so right about this. There should be a place for people who are having non-traditional recovery experiences to just talk to other people who are having non-traditional recovery experiences. In so many places, you get yelled at or you have to worry about what are people going to say about what I'm doing. And I'd like to eliminate as much of that as possible. Yeah, and you've you've told some pretty incredible stories in the past about people accessing these groups and, and being honest. Like, I know you told a story one time about the person who was in their dealer's living room while accessing a group. And in an AA circle, that person is out the door real quick. But okay, yours, okay, this story gets better. Thing. Okay, so here's the crazy thing. That story gets better. I don't know if, if nobody's heard the story. The story is insane. I can share the woman's name because she's public about the story and she's becoming, well, I'm not going to tell the other part. Okay. So this woman's name is Aaliyah. Um, she was one of the early adopters of our program. She's been with us for like two and a half years. So within the first year, she joined us. Ex-meth addict, ex-opiate. She's used everything. Um, criminal justice involvement, like insane, insane, insane life. Past sexual assault, ridiculous. Um. She found Ignited because she was in the middle of a failed suicide attempt. Um, she had tried to shoot herself, put the gun in her mouth, and the gun jammed. And so she got in her truck and was trying to drive around on the freeway, finding something to hit so that she would die. No seatbelt and like try to die that way. Here's me on the radio. I Till this day, I don't know what I was doing on the radio. I've only done the radio like four times in my life. 
her, hears me on the radio, pulls over, calls her sister and says, hey, I think this thing might be able to help me. Um, will you help me pay for it? Because it was still a $1,000 program back then. Joins the program and is kind of in and out, having a hard time, you know, as happens. But in our program, if you fucking relapse, you don't have to go back to anything. You just come in and you say, hey, man, I didn't really do that well yesterday. I meant to not drink and I drank. Or I meant to not shoot up heroin, but I shot up heroin. And we talk about what happened and why and and how can we help you do better next time, right? It's like the shit that makes sense to me. Um, so she felt comfortable coming in. Well, she went on a bigger run and it was maybe a couple of weeks. But in each one of those weeks, we only had one live group back then. It was our Tuesday group. On each one of those weeks, she would still tune in Tuesday at 1 p.m. to the group. She would just have her headphones in normally high. This one time, she's at her dealer's house waiting for the drugs with a friend. And I tell this story, and I'm going to tell it because it affected her. So I want to tell you the story in case it affects you if you're listening right now. I said, look, a lot of us get stuck and we're... We see ourselves, we're driving the car of our life and we see the edge of the cliff. Like we're, we're driving towards death and we know it, we see it. And somehow we feel like the, you know, our foot is down, pedal to the metal. And all we can do is clutch the wheel and go, oh my God, I don't want to fly off this cliff. I don't want to fly off this cliff. But we see it getting closer and closer and we're going faster and faster and faster. And everything is destroyed around us and we forget. We forget that we can turn the fucking wheel at any moment. Like at any moment, you can just swing the wheel hard right or a hard left. And you don't know what's going to happen. It's still going to suck. Because if you think about that actual analogy, like if you're careening towards the end of a road and you flip the car like that, it's not fun. But if I go off the cliff, I'm dead for sure. If I flip the car hard right now, I have a chance. And you don't know why and what the chance will look like, but you can do it whenever. And she's sitting there with her friend and both of them are listening to the group. And she looks at her friend. She says, let's just get the fuck out of here. And in that moment, they pick up the fucking phone that where they were watching the group and they leave the dealer's house before getting the drugs. That day, the friend said the friend had been avoiding going to jail. She'd been on the run for months And that day, the friend tells her, she goes, look, I'm going to go to the police. I'm going to turn myself in. I can't be on the road. I'm going to cry just telling the story. But like the friend goes to the police and turns herself the fuck in and serves her time and gets out. The friend is sober now. Aaliyah is sober now. And Aaliyah is becoming a coach at Ignited right now. So she can help other people do what worked for her. And... I don't know what a better gift there is in the world, man. Like I didn't do anything. I just gave her permission to take a hold of her life. How much worse would it have been if I was like, Hey, if any of you are using right now, please raise your hand so we can all tell you that you have to go to the back of the line before we'll help you again. Like why, why fucking do that to people? All I did was give her permission to just do something else. And she took it and she didn't have to take it. She could have continued using and I would blame her in no way. But she fucking turned around and two lives were turned over. Not because anybody tried to shame her or blame her into doing a better choice because she's an adult and she made the choice on her own. And that to me is what it's all about. Well, I I just 
I love it so much because I, I number one, I identify, but number two, I agree with you a hundred percent. And it, you and I, ha- we use very a very similar analogy, which is that if if you went to your therapist's office and said, "Hey, I'm struggling with depression," and they said, "Great, come back when you're no longer struggling. We'll talk about your depression." Of course, we would be like, "Well, that's fucking absurd." And yet, that's our that's our modus operandi when it comes to addiction. Oh my god, I got kicked out. I mean. And again, look, it worked out okay, so fuck them. I don't really care. But I get I got kicked out of rehab for testing positive for a drug. Like, just think about that for a second. When they kicked me out, they literally said this to me. If when you get 30 days sober, you can come back. You you're the fucking rehab. You're the people who are supposed to help me get 30 days sober. Like, what a dereliction of duty is that to say to somebody, look. Uh, I'll be your therapist for alcohol, but you can't drink. If I could not fucking drink, I wouldn't need you. Like how simple, how how much simpler could I make this for you? And and then we blame the people who have a problem. And so, you know, I mean, obviously I'm pretty animated about this. Like it's just, here's what pisses me off. You and I were on a meeting right before this with a couple who just lost their son. I hear these stories day in and day out. I'm sure you do too. And And like your dad, sometimes those people buy into the story that it was something wrong with their family member, with their kid, with their wife, with their husband. And I'm like, no, you've been fucking failed. I think that very little troubles me as much as that scenario. As someone still thinking that, that it was them or their, their, you know, child that, that failed and that's why whenever I can, I, I trumpet the, the, the statistic that roughly 20% of the treatment world uses even what is already accepted as scientifically proven methods. 20%. Oh, yeah. And if that's the case, if that's the environment that these struggling people are trying to navigate through, it ain't their fault if when it fails. 20%. And those are just for the people who can find some kind of treatment they can afford. Yeah, yeah. It's so sad, and it's so it's so broken, and that's why I think these kind of conversations are so important. Is that there are a lot of people like me who did not know there was another option until I read your book and went, "Holy shit, why isn't this why isn't this around?" You know, and so that's why people like you know those of us who who talk about this side of it. And are willing to have these conversations, despite as you and I have talked about before, the the responses we get from some from some people, which can you know, if you're not mentally strong enough, or or I, if if you're just having a bad day, I get one of those messages about how I'm hurting others, and it gets me sometimes. And then I have okay. to remind myself that like, you know, if, if you've bought it, it, I used to be super religious. I'm no longer that that Jewish. But if mm. if someone had tried to talk to me about you know, the religion at that point, I also would have been defensive. So it's, I, um, I, I don't, I no longer really, I try not to read comments on Facebook anymore, to be honest, because we do have ads running and, and those get seen by a lot of people. So I get some really, really, really negative comments there. Um, yeah, it's, you know, I don't even want to complain cause I'm blessed. So I don't, if this is what I have to put up with, I get I get the benefit on the other side and that's fine. Um but I'm I'm dreaming of a world and I see the difference. You mentioned in the beginning and I just want to wrap us around there. 
you know, when I started that group, um, and for anybody who wants to look for it on LinkedIn, it's called Addiction, A New Way Forward. Um, it's method agnostic. You've been on it. We get people that are suggesting all new sort of approaches, and, and I'm, I'm open to all of it. And every once in a while, you've seen, I think you've been on one of these meetings, we get somebody who's actually really, really skeptical. Um, but what I'm seeing is happening more and more is the skeptical people are still looking for something different because they know that what we're doing right now isn't working. So they'll walk in and they'll look in the door instead of just calling us crazy right off the bat. And then oftentimes what I see happening is they'll come back and they'll go, ah, I get it. I get it. Like, I may not like what you're offering, but I know what we're doing right now isn't working. And I appreciate that at least you're trying something different. And that's all we can ask. I'm not, I'm not an idiot. I don't like, my ego is not big enough to believe that I've somehow invented like some magical new formula that will be better than anything else in the in the past i'm just trying to do my best to help more people and and i just want more of us to have that orientation like okay i don't like ad stuff cool don't like my shit but start something new because whatever's whatever we're doing right now is just not enough it's obvious that it's not enough to anybody who's looking at the data and we need more options when you're losing hundreds of people hundreds of thousands of people a year <laughs> you can't call that success there's no way well, I, I, I love what you're doing. I, I support it. I'm a big fan, obviously, and I appreciate all that you're doing. You and I could do this for a long time, but we both have other things to, uh, other things to do today. So before we wrap this up, before we go to the final two questions, one more time, shout out where people can find you online. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, TheAbstinenceMyth.com is the book. It's also available on Amazon if you're a Kindle reader or whatnot. Um, ignited.com ignted.com will get you there uh, i already did mention if you want to get access to our free community community.ignited.com and then i gave you the ignited.com forward slash secret link uh to get some of the exercises that we use within that program for totally free well i always finish with the same two questions so they are number one let's do it not just during uh covid but, but period, what kind of self-care habits work for Adi? Mm. I started this long before COVID. It lasted through COVID, and I credit it with saving my mind during COVID. Um, I have a very in-depth morning ritual. It's about a 90-minute uh, thing that I do every morning, but it started with the five-minute journal. Um, my wife gave it to me sort of as a joke, for Valentine's Day. She didn't think I would do anything with it, but she had one laying around. I can get very pessimistic in the morning and thinking about gratitude and what I want to look forward to in the day has really changed my life forever. So that morning gratitude practice and the five-minute journal followed by preparing for my day and exercise, et cetera, is a non-negotiable for me. Awesome. I, I also am a huge proponent of uh, morning gratitude, morning affirmations, I think it's, it's crucial. So, all right, final question. Uh, we've now spent the last uh, hour listening to why you're amazing. We should all be following your work. But this is your chance to shout out some other people that you follow. You did this a little bit earlier, but who who are you reading? What are you watching? Who are you listening to, following, whatever it is that we should all check out? Wow. Um, well, I mean, obviously giving you a shout out is uh, is superfluous for your team. But I love I love the stuff you're doing and the, and the way you're approaching it. Um, I think it's so, so powerful. Um, this will really depend on what kind of world you're in. But if you're in the more businessy kind of world trying to get your stuff together, uh, my business coach is Alex Sharfin, and I love his stuff. If somebody hasn't heard of him, 
really helped me organize the way I think about a lot of these things. Um, and, you know, honestly, I'll, I'll give a shout out to my wife for many, many reasons. Uh, on Instagram, for instance, she is at Sophie.jaffe. Um, my wife is the person that showed me that it's actually possible to both be happy and optimistic about the future and work actively to change the world that you are living in. Uh, and so you can have both of those at the same time. I was always actively working to change the world I was living, being very pessimistic and cynical. Uh, and it was really, really nice to actually feel good while doing that. Um, and so I really credit her with that. You know, I, I think uh, it's definitely fair to say that you guys are a power couple. Anybody who mm. has seen your work and, and follows your wife on, on Instagram or any social media would agree with me. So she's uh, amazing. Shout out. She is. Yeah, well, DR, really appreciate it. Always a great chance to chat with you. It, it's always enjoyable. And I'm sure my listeners are going to love this. Love this, Jay. Thank you so much. And again, thank you for everything you're doing. And uh, I'm touched and so glad to be here. I am so excited to tell you about my new CBD sponsor, Roadrunner. Y'all know I love my old CBD sponsor. And I switched for one main reason. This stuff works. I've been a runner my whole life, but unfortunately, I'm also super easily injured. One of my high school friends used to call me Mr. Glass. And back in 2015, when I ran my first half marathon, I got hurt, like really hurt. And since then, I haven't been able to run more than three or four miles without serious pain. That is until I tried Roadrunner CBD's Muscle Gel. In a few short months, I'm regularly running five and a half to six miles each outing, and I'm currently training for my next half marathon. I don't want to call it a miracle cure, but it's damn near close. So check it out at my personal Roadrunner link, which is roadrunnercbd.com slash ref slash CYS. Again, that's roadrunnercbd.com slash ref slash CYS, or at the link in my show notes or on my podcast website, and use the code CYS at checkout to get 10% off on all of their awesome products. Check it out today. Find me on social media. Check the link in the show notes or search for me, Jay Schiffman, on YouTube and LinkedIn, and choose your struggle on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All right, we've come to the end of another episode of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, as always. I hope you enjoyed learning more about Dr. Adi Jaffe. Uh, obviously, I'm just a very big fan, very appreciative of him and his work. And uh, I'm sure that uh, at least a couple of you are like, yep, that is, you know, those are the messages I need to hear more of, and they're going to go follow him. So please do. You know, like I said, please buy The Abstinence Myth. You can get it on my bookshop link. The sound that you're hearing, uh, if you can't hear the beeping in the background, is me opening the card pack. We are going with the Press Pause Pack from Blurt this week. Press Pause Pack. Thank you, Blurt, uh, when I use their cards. Thank you, Blurt. I am shuffling on the, the, the show this time. I'm not going to throw the cards around the room. All right. Ooh, this is a good card, and it goes directly into your good egg, and I love when that happens. All right. Reframe your mistakes as lessons. You're learning, growing, and adapting. That is a great card. Um, I, I, I want to use the press pause pack because I haven't been doing a good enough job of taking that time for mindfulness uh, as consistently lately. We've been very busy, uh, you know, settling into Philadelphia, 
And more than that, just um, unlike I think in Charleston where we're doing a lot of sitting around, like I've been busy and it's great, but I need to prioritize that press pause moment of my day. And this is a great one, uh, sort of sitting with your or, or your your missteps and recognizing what you've learned there instead of just uh, maybe the embarrassment or, you know, whatever it is that you're feeling from those. And, and those mistakes can be embarrassing. I don't want to minimize that. Uh, but, you know, failure is a is a part of life. And in fact, that is a topic I'm going to do a Monday motivation on. I've been brewing on it for a little bit. Oh, speaking of Monday motivation, this coming Monday is the replay of uh, the audio replay of the um, Rock Bottom 2 event. Uh, if you already watched it, obviously feel free to skip this. If you would rather watch the event, you can find it on Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube. It's it's there, so definitely feel free to go do that instead of listening. Uh, but if you like listening, then enjoy the replay. All four of my uh, storytellers were fantastic. The musical guests were great, so enjoy that on Monday. Now, as I said, that goes directly into your uh, good egg. So uh, what your good egg is going to be this week in honor of, of uh, Adi is to be the person in the room who speaks up. You know, I, I kind of mentioned uh, why I'm such a big fan of Adi is, is that he really helped me realize that there were other people like me out there, which is not a thing that I was uh, aware of, really, that I, I felt that I was just the you know, the weird guy out and, and, and the D helped me sort of get tapped into this community of people who think like I do. And um, we are, we're, as, as we talked about on this, we're small, but we're growing. And, and I, let me rephrase that. We're not that small. We are the smaller community of in recovery, but we are growing very quickly. Um, and I think a lot of that is that is that it's, it's, it's sort of the wings that the spectrum is melding a little bit um, as, as, you know, we accept science <laughs> as a community, but I appreciate that about him is that he was willing to be the one that spoke up. And as he talked about, he gets a lot of heat for that. And, you know, all of us who do this occasionally will get some, but he is kind of one of the, the most uh, visible and focal, uh, vocal people about this. So he's a focal point of that pushback. So um, that's your good egg this week. Be the, the that, that person who questions, be that person who stands up and says, hey, you know, I, I feel differently because I guarantee you, you're not the only one. And there are other people who are afraid uh, to be that person. So that's your good egg in a, in a situation over the next week uh, when you normally would not have said anything because you didn't want to rock the boat or make waves or whatever. Do it. Be that person this week. But above all else, as always, be vulnerable, show your empathy, spread your love and choose your struggle.